everyone this is nishant malhotra from the middle road a global thought leader and online learning platform today i'm going to be talking with bhargav shri prakash and it's great to have you here for a podcast with the middle road bhargav uh, welcome to the middle road platform thank you nishant thanks so much for having me here okay just let me give a very brief introduction to bhargav bhargav an alum of university of michigan and arbor and he's a fellow alum from university of michigan and he's passionate about using technology to solve complex problems governing the society he's a recipient of the world's first digital vaccine patent so this is very exciting and this is what we are going to be talking we we'll talk a lot about this particular aspect today he's the founder and ceo of friends learn a biotech and medical technology company and pioneer of neuropsychology based digital vaccines to prevent lifestyle diseases he has worked in collaborative roles in research with leading global research and think tank institutes and i think bhargav this is where you know you could also talk about your work with leading you know institutes like carnegie mellon you also with john hopkins you have done something so it will be great as we progress you know you can talk about it sure absolutely we delighted to do that for a very informative conversation with regards to your work at friends learn let's start with bhargav bhargav you received the the patent for the world's first digital vaccine now that is something very innovative and very fancy now the digital vaccine uses technology to nudge people towards positive behavior using a tool called neurocognitive training tell the audience about this wonderful invention and then as we go forward we we'll talk about rules oh thank you thank you nishant again uh, real uh, pleasure and honor to be here um digital vaccines is um is uh, is an area that uh, we've actually been researching for almost 12 years and uh, as you mentioned nishant it's uh, been a product of uh, fundamental scientific uh breakthroughs in neuroscience and an area of being able to uh stimulate the brain and the gut axis our focus has always been on children and uh, the idea of uh, you know the science was always to think of what was the future of vaccines uh, going to be you know this journey over the last 12 years is an, as a, as an engineer coming to a to a problem uh, or trying to solve a problem in uh, in in medicine or in public health has uh, I, i i gained a lot of inspiration i guess from uh, from uh, the university of michigan school of public health which is the home of the polio vaccine and uh, the home to jonas salk's work uh, and 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 for for us it was always using that as kind of a north star uh, to think about uh, the future of uh, you know technology all these frontier technologies whether it was uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning or deep learning or neural networks or uh, or even virtual reality technology and and really thinking of how these emerging uh, frontiers of technology will have a bearing or a potential bearing in the pre- prevention of disease uh, vaccines i always felt was like you know the bright spot in medicine because uh, because of its role in eliminating diseases like polio which uh, you know india is a huge uh, beneficiary as is uh, the world from eliminating or eradicating smallpox so we wanted to think of how new technologies could eradicate diseases of the current whether it is uh, diabetes and heart disease and cancer and hypertension 
cardiovascular disease, and even uh, cognitive disease, mental health, overall thinking of how even now we can reduce infectious disease uh, incidence and risk through technology. So, so neural networks are are an exciting area, uh, I guess, uh, and, and vaccines have also been a very exciting area given the last two years that we're living through and, and emerging from. But uh, the idea of, uh, of, of, a, of a new kind of a paradigm for vaccines uh, to non-invasively prevent disease using technology with the underlying science of vaccine development and validation and safety and ethics and efficacy and effectiveness uh, was, was kind of the bedrock. But we've been able to achieve all of this because of a, of a project or a center at uh, Carnegie Mellon, which is really the lead on uh, this initiative uh, where I serve as a partner for um, uh, research translation and innovation. And uh, it's been a, a, a multi-institutional collaboration. So we actually collaborate with the University of Michigan School of Public Health researchers from there, uh, Professor Rahul Badania, who's a, a, a young uh, kind of a, a rock star at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. And also with Johns Hopkins University at the Bloomberg School of Public Health, Baylor College of Medicine, Kansas Medical Center, University of Pittsburgh Children's Hospital, uh, Stanford School of Medicine, and the University of Oxford, and a growing NUS, uh, National University of Singapore, and a growing kind of an ecosystem uh, to really validate the science, to develop the science, and to even uh, present uh, humanity the option to prevent disease through all these frontier technologies, which is what digital vaccines uh, is and, and aims to be even more so. You know, you, there are two questions which come up. Uh, one about neural networks you're talking about. And I think that's a very poignant topic because it's it's a major thing in machine learning. And very good that you talked about also University of uh, Pittsburgh because Carnegie Mellon and University of Pittsburgh, they're very close to each other. And Pittsburgh is a fantastic place in the US. You know, when you talked about that is something which I had in mind. In, you know, you talked about your work as, as a part of Carnegie Mellon University. That's where the you know digital vaccine project is going on, right? That's where it all began. Richard uh, King... Mellon Foundation awarded the grant for the digital vaccine project. Can you share the journey that brought you to Carnegie Mellon University project? Now, how did it just sort of go about? Uh, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, this uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, and, and Professor Rema Padman, uh, who leads the effort as a lead researcher at uh, Carnegie Mellon, is a, a trustees professor and uh, she shares a a joint appointment also with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, School of Medicine there. And she's a bioinformatics expert, really uh, the world's kind of uh, renowned, uh, you know, foremost researchers at the intersection of, of data science and clinical outcomes and medicine. And uh, she's been uh, kind of a pillar for this whole idea, the evolution of, you know, digital vaccines and as have several of our colleagues and fellow faculty members at uh, Carnegie Mellon. But uh, we kind of, the early pieces, even before we started collaborating with Carnegie Mellon, which has been a collaboration going for almost eight years, uh, coming up to a decade soon. But we, we started working on this idea uh, with uh, 
when I was a fellow, I had an invitation from the Kaufman Foundation in Kansas City. And uh, I was uh, spending time uh, in, in Kansas City and through the foundation actually uh, got to uh, to be introduced to a to an eminent, a really brilliant neuroscientist uh, at working at uh, Kansas Medical Center. Her name is Amanda Bruce, and she's done some of the world's first uh, fMRI-related work on children, analyzing neural response and understanding uh, from a neural response perspective, and also from a neural makeup perspective, uh, what could be predictive of whether a child would be pre-diabetic or on the obese end of the spectrum. And uh, through our work with her, uh, we kind of developed some ideas around neurocognitive training. Uh, the idea that we could use neuroplasticity, we could use virtual reality technology powered by uh, this neural network. So it could dynamically almost signal and message the brain and induce these physiological changes uh, that lead to downstream you know, health benefits and that could be measured and could be quantified. And uh, we were able to do this with, um, you know, non-invasively. So the other big breakthrough with uh, virtual reality technology was that we could almost in a very targeted and a deliberate way, increase blood flow to parts of the brain, increase responsiveness to certain parts of the brain, and almost unleash these self-healing mechanisms for the entire body. And uh, and these were really at a biomarker level along the brain and uh, the gut axis. So really the pathway linking the brain and this feedback loop between the brain and the gut. And then from there is kind of the core to the human body and our existence really being able to reach the immune system. So, so along with that, using virtual reality and gamification powered by this neural network, we're actually able to almost read and write at a biomarker level to biology and lower the risk of a whole vast kind of a, an expanding spectrum of uh, diseases. So, uh, so that's how it all came about. Uh, the first trials were run at Baylor College of Medicine, the first human trials. So after we worked with you know, the early ideas, uh, we subject this to uh, the same lens of vaccine development. So going from you know, animal models to theory, and then, uh, you know, human human trials. And uh, we worked with Baylor. They ran the first two randomized controlled trials in children. And the findings were, were, were really uh, spectacular because uh, we were able to affect uh, what is called neurobehavior transference, which means we could stimulate the brain using virtual reality and gamified virtual reality. But that was transferring over to health outcomes. And we could show this through a randomized controlled, you know, blinded trial. And so that breakthrough was published in Obesity Week. And then we then partnered uh, with more researchers at Kaiser Permanente and the University of Houston. And, and then it led to this remarkable partnership with Carnegie Mellon and Johns Hopkins and Stanford and, and a whole host of, uh, you know, scientists across our ecosystem that are breathing life into this idea of digital vaccines. You actually very good. You talked about uh, randomized control trials. So just for my audience, let me explain because they might, and you can correct me. Basically in a randomized, this was for how long? Uh, this so, was for... So, so the randomized control trial that we, the first trials that we ran were uh, with, you know, uh, children and looking at immediate effect 
so they would get uh, an exposure to this uh, to this intervention or this therapy and uh, and then we would actually see these children almost immediately uh, responding and starting to make healthy choices as they go through the cafeteria the next set of trials in a randomized control trials there are two groups uh, one is given the intervention the other group is not given the intervention and then you look how so it gives you very good uh, what is known as uh, effect between what happens in counterfactual uh, you know if you could look at the impact evaluation module on the middle road which is part of the subscription model you'll come to know a lot about it but you talked it's a double blind experiment was it a double blind wherein yeah. the participant or the other person is they are not aware of who each other is am i correct yeah. that's right a very good way of doing what is the impact of the intervention yeah so carry on yeah so that, that's the that's the gold standard in medicine to establish causality right so we want to make sure that we can compare between groups so that it's uh, it's it has some statistical significance across a sample and uh, we want to ensure that you know the intervention only significant variable uh, between the the arm of the trial that gets the invention versus the the placebo or the control arm and uh, the differences are documented measured through observation uh, and the observers are blinded to whether the, the the people that they're observing are belong to the to the treatment or control so these are scientific methods by which they establish uh, a rigorous uh, process and a protocol uh to establish causality and to determine whether it's statistically significant and uh and you can establish that it is actually uh the outcomes that you're seeing are produced by the intervention and and what is the effect size and and how does that affect the sample so uh so that that was uh kind of the lens again uh that has really been perfected in in the biomedical world uh but it is kind of accepted as the go as the world's gold standard in uh in in kind of uh, this type of science and so uh so we held in the development world i mean it's now a gold standard of measuring the impact you're right it started from the medical world and rct is now become a, a standard now a lot of people even in the development sector whatever interventions they do they prefer that if yes. you between one to uh, long term right absolutely absolutely so the so the the whole the whole uh, uh kind of evolution of this idea has been subject to several randomized control trials and then one of the early trials in Baylor set the stage for us to do more longitudinal trials so there were children who were tracked for several weeks at a time and uh, and in multiple sites and so so that allowed us to get you know various populations and 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 have a consistent way to measure whether the intervention was working in different settings geographies and uh, and that also all over, uh, us or also singapore you said it was at different countries and also locations right yeah so the second uh, the second set of trials was run all over the us okay uh, and and that was also you know reported in 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 journals and presented at medical conferences and then uh, we kind of branched from there onwards to uh, to kind of think of this more globally and so we've run trials uh, with Johns Hopkins in India with uh, National University of Singapore in Singapore uh, we've also run trials in Botswana uh, so really kind of thinking of you know digital vac- vaccines having applicability and generalizability for 
uh, you know, global health and populations around the world. So part of our mission is to think of, you know, solving this problem as a citizen of the world. And it is clearly uh, health is a need across uh, across the entire the entire globe. Uh, technology has the potential to scale and uh, and and also be mapped with you know these precision methods uh, enabled through a neural network so that it's uh, relevant to that uh, to that one uh, individual. So it doesn't necessarily fall into like this one size fits all approach, but there is an at least an ability. To, to personalize it and make it relevant for uh, for that one individual. I really want to congratulate you. You know, it's a fantastic achievement. It's, you know, something which you have done is very uncommon. And I know the neuroscience is like sort of coming up. What's so great about it? It was done at a lot of places. Uh, you know, you talked about NUS, exchange at Nanning uh, Technology and Nanning Business School. Singapore is also a wonderful place, a fantastic place to be there. You know, what's so great about it? It's very universal. It's It's been done. You did it in Africa. You did it in India, Singapore, you know, in Asia, Africa, and then, of course, also the, uh, in the U.S., it's a, I would say, a remarkable achievement, and I want to congratulate you and the whole team. You. you know, and it was very scientifically done. And you know, so, when you talk about these results, one is like it's you know, you also your your organization does a lot of uh, exercises or you know games. You have gamification. You talked about where you modulate the behavior of children through games, and then you have neurocognitive training also. So it's much more easier to do it for children but it's not uh, how effective is it when you are talking about the same effect of vaccines on adults that's a great question and so you know the power of our platform is really the fact that uh, at the core of it it's based on neuroplasticity and and neuroplasticity actually is available as a mechanism uh, throughout the age spectrum uh, our focus in terms of pediatric population uh, is is kind of was strategic, but also uh, you know the 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 best time. I think the most the most fertile uh, kind of time to intervene and 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 uh, establish uh, healthy habits uh, during the formation stage of life, rather than trying to you know fix things after uh, things have either been set um, as you progress into adulthood. Uh, but that said, we are already considering and expanding the scope of our platform uh, to cater to adults. And, and since our entire platform is built on, you know, neurocognitive outcomes and modulation, uh, we certainly can expand this to areas of neurocognitive disease and neurocognitive degeneration. And uh, and that's a, that's a vast opportunity. But this is really kind of I guess at the platform level, uh, it's exciting because there's so many different applications, but we've, I guess, chosen to stay focused on a pediatric population uh, for the time being, but with the idea to be able to expand to cater to, uh, to, 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 to across the entire spectrum. Let me ask you, you know, a question which always comes to my mind. Now, whenever I talk to you, this is a project which is done at a very grand level. There are so many actors involved. And, and so in different kind of actors. So it's a collaborative achieve, you know, project. How difficult was it? What are the positives and the negatives? Was it very difficult to sort of, you know, be on the same platform, have that common goal, which you usually, you know, you mark out with a theory of change, you go on the outcome and then sort of map it back. Was it done that way? Or how, how, how was it? Just talk about what are your experience here? 
both the positives and the negatives no it's a, it's been a remarkable journey i think uh, there is no doubt that this wouldn't be what it is today without uh, without like the collaboration with incredible scientists and incredible uh, collaborators uh, engineers um, uh, science you know researchers uh, fundamental science researchers uh, outcomes researchers uh, and then you know even uh, eth- bioethics experts and what's remarkable about this in i think uh in the journey uh, i think it 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 grew very organically and very naturally um i think i wish i could take i i i, I would be misleading anybody to think to if i said that we 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 kind of had a, a grand design uh but these things all fell into place i think there was obviously a, a thread and a desire and a vision and a mission and it drew people who were naturally inclined uh and and i i think everybody was intellectually stimulated by the scale of the problem and trying to find a solution to something like this was obviously something uh, hadn't been attempted before so there was a certain uh, uh challenge or complexity that drew people who are not afraid of complexity and and it also was a filter so the people who who didn't have an appetite for complexity or didn't have an ap- appetite for science uh, automatically self selected not to be a part of this so far uh, but i think you know as this broadens and deepens uh, you know i think there are at different stages as it evolves different different skill sets are required and uh, uh, different uh, uh, different different groups of people with different types of thinking required uh, to scale this to sustain it uh, and to really deliver impact so it was it was challenging there's no i, I would be uh, intellectually style challenging emotionally challenging spiritually challenging uh, but i think what um, kept us focused uh, and, and 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 kind of resisted the temptation to give up was um, was kind of this underlying i guess mission that uh, that 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 we we ought to try uh to make the world a better place for our future generations and that health is uh, incredibly important uh and that without health you know no wealth matters and then i think my personal journey also reinforced that um i i i saw it with my with my late father in his uh, final years uh my 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 youngest daughter who inspired me to start thinking about this was actually um also struggling with a lot of food borne allergies and asthma mostly as a result of you know uh stuff in the diet and nutrition so these were all you know reminders and reinforced that this was an important problem and that it had to be solved and the whole world was facing it and uh there wasn't really enough going towards trying to solve this so i i guess a sense of duty a sense of adventure as an engineer's mindset to try to come up with a prop with a solution for a very complicated problem uh, is what is allowed it to build itself but it's still we were 12 years into this nishant but uh, it feels like we're just getting started must be a fantastic feeling you know for 12 years you got a patent thing all rolling out right i mean the vaccine is available in the us now digitally it's, it yes. comes yes. through an app okay 
Yes, yeah, so we're 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 available, uh, uh, you know, in, in around the world, but uh, in the U.S. and also in India, we're kind of scaling this, uh, you know, to uh, to to serve uh, to serve children in schools. So there is uh, an accreditation program, or I would say, kind of like an accreditation program uh, for a DVX school. So it's a recognized school partner. Uh, that can get access to this technology and make it available to children, uh, and so uh, so, the, so there are all these new innovative ways to even bring uh, something as innovative as a digital vaccine. Uh, it doesn't have to flow through the traditional challenge channels of uh, of a vaccine, and 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 that I guess brings with it, uh, you know, the added X factor in terms of how disruptive it can be. Uh, because unlike uh, traditional biologic vaccines, uh, we're not manufacturing it. There's no distribution. There's no cold storage. There's no shelf life. Uh, we're able to kind of go anywhere. There's a smartphone with an internet connection and be delivered in a in a in an appropriate, precise way uh, to be able to protect the health of that one individual. So, uh, so there's there's tremendous potential as you know digital technologies are in the hands in kind of you know addressing uh, inequities uh, in health and in education uh, technology can sometimes play uh, a leveling factor and make hopefully we envision that health should not be a privilege uh, for the elite or for the for, for those who can afford it but uh, but it should be accessible, and, and this kind of a technology should uh, should address uh, some of the underlying health inequities in our society. Yeah, could wonderfully put. I do agree that technology is totally leveler, and there are a lot of ways we can put this uh, vaccine across the world. Whether it's a low-income country or a very advanced country, there is a lot of effective ways to you know almost everybody has. Or there are ways you can put across a smartphone and get or people you know, get the uh, final product to the people. And I think that's a very good idea. And let's hope so that the whole world is able to achieve. Of course, smartphone is not with everybody, but there are ways where you can subsidize it or there could be a place where people could go, you know, with a common phone and they could use it even in rural areas. Something like that could be done. By exactly. The exactly. Exactly. So it feels, you know, when we started working on this station, honestly, uh, when we were thinking that, uh, you know, we would choose to develop this evidence base because it was a huge investment of, uh, you know, effort and time and resources. Uh, but we chose uh, the smartphone platform. And honestly, when we were getting this approved uh, for our very first trials and, and uh, the, the questions come up because, you know, ethics, ethics experts uh, question whether this would address you know the inequity and whether this technology would be just restricted to solving the problems of the the, the very wealthy who could afford a smartphone or an iPhone or a high-end Android phone and this is going back to 2011 right yeah. so so but but we bet uh, and and it was a bold bet and I'm so glad that we were Kind of right because if we were wrong about that, then you know anything we did uh, would have would have would have looked very different. But the building blocks you had to get that right because the cost of failure, as we were 
at that early stage, uh, there was really no room to fail. We had to be right about the big decisions. And so we were lucky in some ways that, you know, smartphone penetration and internet penetration has really kind of made technology accessible in a country like uh, in India. You see how, uh, you know, uh, almost the bottom of the pyramid has, has access to smartphone technology and, you know, therefore um, data and, you know, therefore uh, a, a digital vaccine. So, so even places which may otherwise be remote uh, to get to from a public health perspective, um, you know, smartphone technology and internet connection is reaching those uh, nooks and corners of this uh, of this of this complex, diverse country. So, so I think it it's certainly a promising way uh, to think of you know of of creating a solution that can scale at India scale and uh, and therefore uh, be better suited for global scale. Well, I think it's a brilliant decision, and like GV says, brilliance. You know, it's come out like. Absolutely, uh, you know, when you look at the time and you are absolutely right. Now, I've come to a fantastic question. And this is something I think the whole world would like to know. For example, when you, you know, you have uh, Carl Sunstein and Richard Taylor. Richard Taylor, of course, won the Nobel Prize in economics. They have written a lot about nudging and how nudging can be used for a public good or for societal good, you know, in public policies. Yes. Now, although nudging can have a productive behavior, we have also seen Facebook has come under a lot of criticism or I will say universal criticism for his adverse cognitive policies on Facebook customers. And, you know, you had also a documentary on this particular subject. Now, just to sort of uh, know your views, because you have come across as an expert who has been dealing in this field. How do you think the cognitive field is going to evolve for the better as we advance? We are looking just at the better, you know, how because public perception is, very divided, I feel. I mean, there are positives and negatives. Yeah, no, this is, this is such an important question and something that we've, you know, had to consider from the very beginning. And again, the reason why we had to go very deep uh, into these kind of uh, topics and, and, and really flush these ideas out and determine what we were going to do and make sure that from an ethical perspective, uh, we, were, we were on the straight and narrow, on the middle road. Uh, was that you know the the fact that we were catering to children uh, children from a medical perspective are considered a, uh, a vulnerable population so children uh, it's the highest bar in terms of being able to get data or to use uh, children as part of any uh, uh, subject research and and the reason is obvious because children cannot fully understand the risks and and, uh, and, and so they cannot be uh, kind of, you know, uh, unscrupulously used uh, for, for, any, for any outcome. So, uh, and there's an elaborate process of parent to consent and informed assent. And if, you know, a child would even be remotely uncomfortable uh, at any point, then they could just withdraw, right? So you can't, you can't, even, you can't even nudge them or encourage them or incentivize them to, to continue. So that, that meant that we had to really think about, uh, you know, the platform, the technology, the use, uh, and, and, and a lot of questions we had to field from uh, ethicists, uh, bioethics experts, was around the choice of our technology 
and that often technology itself is the culprit for a lot of health issues. Uh, least of which is that it promotes it promotes a sedentary lifestyle. Uh, but on top of that, uh, the questions of you know uh, all that people read and is established around uh, you know social networks very aggressively uh, trying to uh, use these methods and perfect these methods and really refine and hone these methods to 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 kind of drive engagement. So the one thing we, we, we helped people understand is that our business model is not advertising supported. So we, we made a very conscious choice that we would not generate any revenue, not at that time, but even in the future, out of uh, you know, advertising. So nothing linked to additional screen time. Now, uh, often you know, uh, the, the, the understanding uh, between the use case of a technology and the technology is fairly nuanced, as you can appreciate. Um, you can't you can't say we're not going to use planes because planes were used in a terrible way during 9/11. Uh, but you know you can't. Similarly, you can't say we won't use smartphones because or apps because you know there are some apps that are very aggressive in the way they engage and that they really create an addiction, which is not good for health. Uh, but it was really about the content. It was really about the approach. It was about kind of the guardrails that we, we established for ourselves from an ethics perspective. And we had, we, we hold ourselves accountable to the highest standards. So, uh, so, so, so we, we kind of invested heavily uh, in, in not just thinking about it ourselves, but subjecting this to external scrutiny and 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 that is part of the scientific process so we for better or for worse we decided that if we wanted to deliver the impact at the scale even though it was going to delay things uh we were going to go very deeply into science and the scientific process out of respect but also believe that that's the way to create something truly sustainable to tackle you know the kind of the scale of the problem that we were facing and I think that that holds us in great stead now uh, because we've flushed out these questions and try to design a solution where, you know, recognizing that screen time or too much screen time has its own complications. So an ethics committee will say, uh, you know, what about the radiation? What about the bright light? What about, you know, screen time? Uh, what about the sedentary behavior? And so we've designed uh, the application and the dose is only 30 minutes a week. Um, so it's not like we're trying to max the amount of time that the child has to play. There's no incentive for us to do that because our sole purpose for existing is to protect the health of the child. So recognizing that what we're using could become toxic if overused. And that's very um, uh, uh, understandable in medicine because there are toxicity studies. And if you introduce uh, uh, an agent beyond a certain threshold, uh, the same chemotherapy agent could kill you, right? But if in the right dose, at the right quantity, at the right time, in the right location, then it could potentially, you know, cure, cure, cure or, 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 or reduce cancer. So, so that's well understood from a medical perspective. But doing what we did through that biomedical lens with the highest bar of science and ethics uh, is the reason why, you know, we have said we would be a digital vaccine. So it would, it would meet that bar. 
meet uh, meet the entire kind of uh, checklist that a vaccine is subject to, which is the highest bar in medical science because you're giving it to all healthy individuals. So so it's very important to make sure that we know the risks, we know the you know side effects, we know we know the efficacy, the effectiveness, and and obviously the ethics of it. So so that's all that we bring to bear as we think about you know these frontier technologies. It's not it was about thinking of what digital vaccines would represent to humanity as, as the future of vaccines. No. Okay. So that was a very vivid description. How, how do you think, of course, you answered a lot of things, but how has been the response uh, in the scientific community? It's been very positive, right? I mean, they have come out and it's been, uh, you think, sort of a game-changing experience? Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, our, I mean, we bring to bear like this ecosystem now, you know, so... So there's multiple researchers across multiple institutions uh, really getting behind the idea and you know, challenging the idea, looking at it from various perspectives. It's also interdisciplinary. So, you know, we have data scientists and we have clinicians, we have physicians, we have endocrinologists, we have neuroscientists. So everybody looks at it from their vantage point or their position of expertise. And that's what builds a very, you know, elegant solution. You're trying to thread the needle or multiple needles as they're moving through space and time. And you're trying to come up with, you know, one solution uh, that will hit the target. And, uh, and so, so, so far we've been able to synthesize all this, you know, disparate siloed uh, kind of expertise and this thinking uh, into, into software on a mobile device delivered in this way, in a scalable way. Um, and so, and so, yeah, we have, I think, uh, one of our strengths is kind of the conviction and, uh, the, the, the richness of our ecosystem of, uh, of scientists. So, uh, what we would, what we need beyond the science is, uh, the, the additional kind of ecosystem to kind of, you know, scale this and take this, uh, address it from a policy perspective, address it from a, from a scale implementation perspective, from a, from a outreach, and a, you know, there's, there's still lots of issues we need to take it from, you know, the science into translating that and getting it uh, to impact uh, billions around the world. Before I come to the last question, I would, this is something, you know, there's also a bit of a personal question. I just want to check what drove you towards this? This is a very esoteric topic. I mean, much more esoteric when it was about 12 years back, you know, when you started on this journey. And you did, of course, your uh, master's in engineering from University of Michigan. So being that ground, what propelled you to come to this field? I mean, what was the sort of magic, the mojo which brought you in this particular direction? <laughs> no, it's I think different fields, right? I mean, from engineering background and particularly what you did. No, no, I, 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 I'm constantly amazed. I never cease to be amazed, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the journey and the adventure and all the looking back at all the dots that you can, you can, you can try to connect. Uh, as you're looking forward or when you're in it also, sometimes it's, it's hard to, it's really hard to, to understand what's going on. But I think, you know, life's journey. I, I came to Michigan as an engineer uh, to study engineering. Uh, and I actually studied to specialize. My research was all in computational fluid dynamics and thermodynamics. And 
and uh, you know very interesting field yeah no it's uh, it's it's the lens through which i i see the world and i try to understand the world and it's fascinating because it's fundamental physics and fundamental chemistry and fundamental maths and you know um and and those are all the building blocks of you know everything from uh how matter moves and transforms and energy transfers and 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 how the brain works and how you know neural uh, response can actually map uh in a very uh in a in a, in, a, in a pattern um and how do you understand these patterns and then um, and then how do we react as society how do we re- react as individuals uh you know there's a lot of there's a lot of similarity it's incredible how there is a a similarity in patterns uh you know across the cosmos whether it's biology or you know atoms and and so that that ability to kind of see that and apply the same thinking uh i i i think the in the michigan education the foundation that we got to to break it down from first principles and then build build from there I, i i think is what uh i i still uh you know rely on uh to 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 come up with a solution but i think life's experiences you know i came to michigan and then you know serendipitously started life as an entrepreneur uh had an exit uh you know in my fairly early in my career uh sold the company and started another company in the virtual reality space a lot to do with the university of michigan uh in education and and that company also got sold then i spent some time investing uh but but this uh this was a wake up call for me uh after becoming a a, a father and uh, and getting to see the world through my first daughter's eyes and uh and you know america is you know nishant when we all moved there as a grad student uh america is the land of you know processed food it's the land of breakfast cereal is amazing to go to kroger and see as far as the eye can see an aisle full of options and uh, it's also the land of you know hyper targeted uh, highly sophisticated advertising and uh, and you know i i got to see it through my daughter's eyes before she could speak how she could use technology how ads were reaching her how she was reacting to ads and uh, how she developed a taste or a preference for you know star cinnamon cereal or high fructose corn syrup in different shapes and forms and how that affected her her health because she she had uh, food born allergies and she developed uh, asthma and so that's when i realized that this is a case of you know we've lost the plot right like we're literally planting the seeds of sickness uh, even before a child can speak and uh, and those were the seeds of diabetes and heart disease and hypertension cancer you probably risk for covid or, or influenza uh, adhd i mean the list is 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 massive and so i kind of said well this is crazy we, this is a case of capitalism that's really gone mad uh, where we're compromising our next generation let alone our own generation uh, and nobody is really paying attention to health there's a lot of profit from you know sickness not so much from of a focus on prevention and uh, and so that was the motivation to try and solve the problem as an engineer uh but life's journey uh seeing this you know in personal ways how it impacted you know me my family 
members in my family, my late father, I realized that uh, this is uh, this is a very very significant problem. I think the greatest problem that we face as humanity and planetary health depends on the health of the individual, and the health of the individual depends on planetary health, and they're all interconnected. And, and at the root of it is uh, you know all these things that we choose to do. So uh, so if we can you know hopefully build a better world uh, than we found it and do it with technology and do it sustainably, uh, then I think uh, our vision would be realized. The, then the good part, when you talk about America, there's a lot of work which is being done, you know, this very scientific community, you know, to come out of the things. So, you, so whenever you talk about America, it's like land of opportunities. I think a lot of very classy people, the way they speak. But what, what good part is, uh, there's a lot of work being done to rectify some of the things which you, you know you talked about and that that's amazing now we come to the last question it's always been the the question about what's your aha moment now do share i mean if you have more than one you can share as many as you want about you know the aha moments specifically when you're related to uh, the digital vaccine uh, project which you did over a period of years yeah so the aha moment was really when i think we did our uh first you know trials and and to 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 get a sense of what was going to be possible uh you know we've been thinking about all these technologies right smartphones uh, virtual reality ai or i guess ai and neural networks um before i guess they got really uh exciting uh and and now of course it's uh it, it, it's considered a frontier or a, or a hot area. Uh, and then now, of course, there's metaverse. Um, but but we, were, we were really hoping that we could use all these technologies and, you know, deliver good, which was our intention, and protect health and prevent disease uh, or lower the risk of disease in a very scientific way. But I think when we... When we uh, the first aha moment was when we thought that, you know, there was this convergence between technology and medicine. So I was a technologist, an engineer, and I realized that my passion or my calling began to be about health and the health of society and health of individuals to empower them with health. Um, then I realized that, you know, technology and medicine were going to intersect and it was going to happen. It could no longer be... Uh, you know, our health could no longer be managed or treated just with, you know, pharmaceuticals or pills or biochemistry. There was, there was so much opportunity to be able to, uh, to impact our health um, in, in, in other ways. So with technology, that was an aha moment, you know, uh, the, the idea that we would technology and medicine was going to converge, technology and vaccines would converge. Uh, and and we were right. We were very lucky because that trend is also played itself out. As has you know smartphone penetration, as has virtual reality technology and metaverse, as has neural networks, and the fact that you know all these things could be brought to bear via these smartphone devices at uh, you know individual uh, scale. So. So I guess a series of aha moments, but uh, the big decisions that we made could have taken us on a completely different direction. 
but now we are really at the intersection of so many so many massive trends uh, technology and medicine or digital medicine digital vaccines uh, you know virtual reality metaverse technology uh, ai neural networks uh, mobile technology or smartphone technology uh, public health or vaccine technology right like we would have never imagined uh, that uh, vaccines would have played the role that they have in the last two years. Uh, nor would we have ever imagined that we would live through a pandemic as we are still emerging from it. Uh, but we, I guess, thinking of the future of vaccines, it's more relevant now than ever because, because of what, uh, what we're living through. And so, so a series of aha moments, and I think uh, it all kind of builds on itself. And, uh, and I guess we'll never know, like, you know, which is the real aha moment. But when we look back, it feels like there were so many small kind of, you know, incremental steps and lots of missteps along the way, but, uh, but lots of, you know, things that got us to this point. So, um, so yeah, that, 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 I guess, is the journey. Thank you. It was a fantastic, you know, conversation. Just to add up on a couple of things, I talked about GVs. So whenever I'm talking about GVs, it's actually ending to PG Woodhouse. It was a fantastic, uh, I'm sure, great, yeah. uh, great yeah, role analysis. Of, of course. But, you know, like you said, the technology and med- medicine is like converging. It's blended. And that is truly so fantastic in what you have done. We have always seen that medical, of course, technology, technology could have enable a lot of things to be, you know, delivered. But this is the first time we are seeing that technology is judiciously sort of coming and blending holistic effects through like a medicine, you know, using the technology or, you know, the neuroscience, which you talked about. That is something which is very innovative. It's very pioneering. I mean, there's something which you don't get off very often. And this is also like a very fantastic example of doing using nudging uh, and and you can sort of have a discernible you have an impact which is very measurable for the people and it just come out at the at, at extremely you know the time when we have seen like you correctly mentioned the pandemic nobody had even ever thought that you would live through something which you have lived you know it's just yeah. something which would live for uh, experiences like the black swan even which you say like yes totally totally yeah Thanks a lot for coming, you know, for joining, giving me time. It's always a pleasure to meet you. It's glad that I was able to, you know, finally connect and we could have a conversation on your wonderful work. Mm-hmm. I really wish this work uh, goes up, scales up globally. And uh, I wish you the very best uh, in what you're doing. Thank you, Nishant. It's a privilege and every honor is mine. So thank you for, for this opportunity and uh, looking forward to many more uh, chances for our uh, paths to you know connect and intersect i'm sure and there will be a lot of chances of course we'll you know we'll keep in touch thank you